Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review when Apple Podcasts helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You could find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's already growing out his mullet, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? You know, I have a mullet wig from college that I, it's blonde, haven't had a good use for. I already have some whitewashed Wranglers and cowboy boots. Um, I mean, Basically, I have a Halloween costume ready to go. I just need, uh, I just need bags and bags of of talent. You thought I was going to say money? No talent. Um, oh. <laughs> like, of course, we're talking about uh, Mr. Quinn. You was Gerald. I wanted to start us off and just wish you a merry Quinsmas uh, and a happy. Quinanza? Quinanza? <laughs> Quinza? I don't, I don't know about Quinza? that one. I, I was going to say we wish you a merry Christmas. And. O lineman this year. Um, oh, that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, I think that's the move. We'll come up with better puns later. It's fine. It's it's all good in the hood. But we're we we honestly we're gonna do a national signing day kind of preview show, and then we're gonna do a wrap. And then this weekend happened. Uh, and if you're living under a rock, one thank you for coming out. I'm not sure how you got a podcast feed down there, but glad that you have us. Um, but then this weekend turned into kind of a big uh, deal. So Texas got a commitment from. Former five-star recruit, now transfer, weirdest situation ever. We'll break it down in just a minute. Quinn Ewers to play at the University of Texas. And then Texas also got commitments from not one but two offensive tackles that were formerly committed to the University of Oregon. Both decided to make it burnt orange. Kelvin Banks, five-star offensive tackle from Summer Creek and three-star slash four-star, depending on who you look at, lineman Cameron Williams from Duncanville. So we'll start with uh, Ewers and we'll work backwards. So if you haven't followed the long and winding saga, that is Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers was the top recruit in the class of 2022, committed to Tom Herman and Mike Yersich at the University of Texas, and then decided to flip his commitment to Ohio State after about uh, six weeks. It's fun that that commitment, that six-week period cost us both, in at the beginning, both Quinn Ewers and Jalen Milrow, but that's another conversation for another day. Um, Funny enough, Mike Roach was on the on the podcast with us when that decommitment broke. But that's again, go back in the go back in the history archives of our podcast. But originally committed to Texas, be part of the 2022 class, flipped to Ohio State, and then at the start of this academic year reclassified to the class of 2021 to move to Ohio a year early and take advantage of some of the NIL deals that he was unable to in the state of Texas. Hashtag fix it state legislature. You got a lot of stuff to fix. NIL issues with high school athletes and the power grid. But as part of the Ohio State Buckeyes, he, he ended up somewhere between third and fourth on the depth chart, depending on the week. Uh, only took about three snaps this year. We're in all garbage time. Well, another Ohio State quarterback hit the transfer portal earlier in the transfer period, and it seemed like Quinn was going to hang out for the spring, and then all of a sudden, uh, Ewers is in the portal, and things heated up. Flirted with Texas Tech 
in this pretty heavily, went and spent some time there, had an in-home visit with them, also spent some time on campus at TCU. But apparently their head coach couldn't be bothered to, to visit during the visit, so he kept driving south and hung out in Austin, and the news broke late Sunday that Quinn was going to be part of the class. So, Kyle, as we look at Texas moving forward, we're, we have to we have to toe this line of like not overstating the impact that one player can have, but Quinn Ewers is just one of six players to ever earn a perfect rating in the 247 composite. Oh, and the only other quarterback to ever do it was Vince Young. Not so bad. Gerald, let me first start on the obvious place you, you think I would take this. Um, how, how brushed up are you on your bowling for soup? Come back to Texas. That's right. Um, so the irony here is that I think they're from like Denton. They're from the Dallas area. Uh, bowling for soup, uh, I mean, obviously years ago, a decade and a half, 2004. Four, I think. Uh, anyways, uh, here <laughs> anyway. exactly what the people at home were looking for. A eh? the singer laments uh, someone leaving him to go to Cleveland, and ironically, that woman met someone in the bank. And this is the inverse: Quinn Ewers met the bank, came back to <laughs> Texas. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I will quit making jokes so we can actually good. we can actually break this down. Um, but yes, the Mexican food sucks north of here anyway. And again, apologies to Gerald. Same Lewis to the breakfast tacos. That's right. No gas station breakfast tacos. So look, we had this podcast where we broke down how big of a deal when you, when you were first committed and, and how good of a quarterback he was and how, you know, like there are good quarterbacks. There are great quarterbacks at the high school level. And then there are Vince Young and Quinn Ewers. And, and we'll see if if. Quinn lives up to that standard, which is unbelievably an impossible, you know, standard to, to, to live up to. But it is that level, right? Like when you talk about all time quarterbacks, the the guys who are like dot nine 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 something are are elite, elite players, players who've who've taken their teams to national championships, who've gone on to be top draft picks and Brock Berlin. But um they they basically all were graded in, in this, you know, it was in the past 20 years when 247 really has been doing this. Uh, but but in that time frame, the last 20 years, two quarterbacks. Two quarterbacks have been perfect at the high school level. Different styles of play, obviously. Uh, Vince, you know, was the greatest show in Houston when the Texans were gone. It was must-see football and ran all over the field, threw it all over as well. Quinn Ewers, you know, can, can run a little bit, but more is just going to put balls exactly where they need to be. A guy who could just sling it around, you know, drop that shoulder, drop that elbow, and just drop balls into the... Uh, the breadbasket and in a Steve Sarkeesian offense the thing we were lacking last year was you know the guy who just sat back and loaded up and just put the ball deep nailed guys on timing uh underneath routes let receivers talented receivers like Xavier Worthy uh catch catch balls and 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 then you know use their speed to to open stuff up but you need that quarterback who you know makes the right read the the instant decision read and can put the ball where he wants it and all those things match up with the strengths of what Quinn Ewers was able to do at the high school level um and, and again you you take a player that good and he goes to Ohio State who you know here's what I'll say there was one quarterback who once couldn't win the starting job at Ohio State uh, and decided to come to an SEC school in the South, and his name was Joe Burrow, and he had the greatest season of a quarterback of all time. Um, so in 2019, I'm not saying <laughs> we're getting that this year immediately from yours, but that talent level is there that he can put up numbers that are otherworldly. He has that potential, um, and, and you know we, we'll talk about the, the offensive line. And, and obviously we know Bijan coming back, they're going to be a balanced team where they run the ball. So he won't have to throw the ball, you know, 600 yards a game. Um, <laughs> though, you know, Xavier Worthy and some other studs may like that, but uh, you know, it, you have 
one of the best running backs in the country, undoubtedly. You have Xavier Worthy, the best young receiver in the country, pretty much undoubtedly. Look at all the postseason lists, and now you bring in a quarterback who's as lauded as a high school quarterback has ever been. I'm not saying this instantly means that Texas wins everything, but there are a lot of situations you could be in where the upside is nowhere near what it just became. And, and we, you and I talked about it on Twitter. Like The addition of viewers and, and any quarterback to this class really raises the ceiling of what this team can do, right? And especially a guy like Quinn Ewers, who there's a lot of like people taking shots, oh, he couldn't win the starting job at Ohio State. I am fully convinced that he never went to Ohio State to play football. I am right. fully – like, you don't transfer partway through fall camp and expect to win the job. You have to learn the – off. like, he was he was starting behind the eight ball three different times because those other guys had already been on campus, two redshirt freshmen and an early enrollee freshman. So, like, I am fully convinced that Quinn Ewers literally went to Ohio State to get a year of coaching from Ryan Day and to get millions of dollars from Ohio State boosters. And I can't awesome. help the kid. I, they call that – capitalism where I come from. I love it. But the thing with, with Quinn Ewers now coming back to Texas and the advantage he has now he's at a disadvantage because you've got two guys that have starting experience. Casey Thompson absolutely has the advantage, the most experienced quarterback on campus. Hudson card has now had, this is going to be his third off season in the program. So he's got some ground to make up and Sark is not going to just award him the job. But when you look at what he did at South Lake Carroll under Riley Dodge, the essentials of the offense are very similar. A lot of RPOs and the ability that Queen, that Ewers has to throw the RPO to both sides based on different arm angles and different delivery methods that he has with his arm is something that translates, that travels. And then the other part of what Riley Dodge likes to do is take deep shots off double move routes and play action passing. And so like the things that we saw from Sark's offense this last year are things that Quinn Ewers was doing at South Lake Carroll when he threw for 6,500 yards and 73 touchdowns in two seasons. And so he's going to have to learn the system. He's already somewhat familiar with the principles and the concepts of it because of what Riley Dodge does at South Lake Carroll. And so that's an advantage for him coming in. And you know what? And, and people are like, it'd be funny if Casey Thompson beat him out. Fine. Right. If yeah. if if who I, I am a big believer in get the most talent on campus and then let them fight, get the three biggest, baddest quarterbacks you can find, throw them in a pile and see who comes out. And if that's yours, great. And he's got a lot of natural advantages to that. But whoever wins it is going to be the rightful winner. And I don't think Sark is just going to appoint a guy just because boosters are in his ear. And look, if, if what Quinn if Quinn Ewers arriving is the thing that pushes either Card or Thompson to reach that level that again, both highly recruited, not as highly, but highly recruited players, players who've shown some glimpses of what they can do at the college level, that pushes them for their game to kind of crystallize into its apex form next season, then then that's great. I will take that. But I think, you know, again, the the upside will be when Quinn Ewers is the quarterback at Texas, whether that is year one or some point in year one or year two, but I, I, I don't. I, I will just say, Gerald, I, I don't necessarily think that he came to Texas with the idea that he's going to get into a situation like Ohio State, where he is behind, you know, a, a solidified starter. Right, Stroud was a Heisman, you know, candidate and an All American conversation. Just to put up an incredible year as a freshman, you know, he's 
redshirt freshman admittedly, but a freshman, you know, he's, he's kind of got that locked down. Like, I, I don't think he, he picked Texas over all the other places if he did not see a path to playing time as well. But again, you have to earn it. And so go be as good as advertised and, and, you know, then we'll, we'll talk. Uh, let's have that good problem of too many quarterbacks playing, you know, high level elite football, as opposed to when midway through this season, we were, you know, injuries to both quarterbacks couldn't get a ball downfield. And we're legitimately looking up Ben Ballard's high school uh, statistics. And that, and that is a, a different world and a different reality that we don't necessarily want to be in. No, not not at all. But again, it's hard to overstate, and especially if um, this shakes any more talent out of trees, and it seems like it did right. for Texas, because two days after Kelvin Banks told everybody at the Houston Touchdown Club uh, award ceremony that he was pushing until February, the the momentum and the buzz out of Austin, he goes down and visit, and Steve Sarkeesian and Kyle Flood going home with five star offensive tackle Kelvin Banks, and he decides to make the move for Texas, and so these are the types of things when these things start to happen in bunches you see and you start to feel a little bit of energy so Kelvin Banks again the highest rated offensive tackle that, or offensive lineman that Texas has signed since Trey Allen in 2007 he's the number 15 player overall the number four player in the state and the number two tackle in the country a 9923 rating in the composite 65 and a high school 300 which means he'll be playing at a college 315 in about six months um, and this is another weird recruiting situation that and and you uh, you and I talked about it via text and, and in the the Slack channel that we have. It started to look like a couple of weeks ago that Texas was going to back into a really elite close to this class just based on the weird coaching carousel. And this is one of those things that Texas kind of backed into, and I'm completely okay with it. Kelvin Banks never really shut down communication with Texas, but when Mario Cristobal left, he decommitted, and that opened the door for Texas to really capitalize on all of all of the seed they'd been sowing for for since he committed to Oregon back in July. Yeah, absolutely. And if you remember, I mean, Steve Sarkeesian basically said uh, a few weeks ago, you know, he if he wanted, and when asked about it, he could he could fill a class that day. But the players that he was targeting weren't deciding yet. I think. This is what you're talking about, right? It, it, we've signed, just flat out say it, we've signed not enough linemen, first of all, the past few classes. We know that. And we have not necessarily signed the talent that those great Texas teams were defined by. Talent in both trenches, uh, great, you know, mean, nasty uh, secondary linebacker and, and you know, uh, the the uh five or six elite skill players that, that you put all those together and you get the 2005 team, right? It, it's... But I think a lot of that comes from the trenches with that NFL uh, level talent that was on that offensive line. And Texas just has not um, been able to – I don't know if it was a conscious decision or they uh, fell on some some evaluations or, you know, look at Willie Tyler, guys who were big recruits and just didn't pan out. So development. So whatever the combination is, I don't want to look backwards. This is as big to me. As the Quinn Ewers news, and I don't think they're unrelated. I, I, I think they're no. hand in hand, but I think this is as big of news. Getting a lockdown tackle, getting a, a, a blindside protecting an NFL caliber tackle at the University of Texas. Yeah, you know, Lincoln Riley at OU put out Heisman quarterbacks, but you know what they also put out is a ton of left tackles and, and, and big, you know, guys who protect quarterbacks and who who give them you know the ability to run that gt counter so well who give them the ability to throw this i mean it, it matters the reason alabama just can transition styles of play from you know running the ball 40 times a game to throwing the ball 40 times a game and not miss a beat is because they had the best trenches in the country the past few years without a doubt uh kyle 
like Flood and, and Steve Sarkeesian know that. And there's no doubt that this is a priority get. This is, again, every bit as big as getting Quinn Ewers. And, and he's the type of player we've always said, don't, don't play a freshman, you know, unless he it's, it's that freshman is so good. He earned his playing time, not because you have to, I don't think Texas is necessarily in a have to though. You know, we talked about ceiling floor with the offensive line. I just think banks is, is that good on, on tape. He's that good in camps. He's that good from every person who's seen him uh, in person that the talent level there will tell you that he's going to be absolutely in contention to step on. And I'm not, I'm not upset about that. You and I have said it before and we'll say it again, but the offensive line raises the floor of the team, right? The quarterback Quinn Ewers raises the ceiling, right? That is, and I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, but getting a quarterback of that caliber elevates you from 10 wins to a conference championship, right? Elevates you from nine wins to, to playing in the playoff, right? But an offensive lineman like Kelvin Banks raises your floor from where it's at now to that 10-win plateau, gets you to the conference championship game because your offense flows behind that kind of guy. And, and again, the there are there are still – it's not going to be a super seamless, super easy uh, transition for him. Uh, Summer Creek is a run-heavy offense, and so yeah. I think he's going to have to take some lumps uh, as yep. far as pass pro goes. I mean, if you look at it, their quarterback has 157 attempts all year. That's in a full season. Meanwhile, they have two running backs with 200 carries. So if that shows you uh, yeah. the distribution in that offense, it's just a, it's just how a lot of high schools are run because they don't, especially with a guy like Calvin Banks, you just have a running back run off his butt cheek and he gets ten yards. Like yep. why do anything else? But like he is he is again a guy who you can build around. He's a guy that you can build a program around at the offensive line. And Texas hasn't had one of those guys in a long, long time. I mentioned Trey Allen, but Trey Allen didn't necessarily live up to the billing. You've got to go back to like. 2002, 2003, Justin Blaylock, five-star Blaylock. offensive lineman. That Texas, and and I'll say, I, I've I've said this before, is that Vince Young gets the credit for a lot of the stuff that the offensive line did in the two in, for the national championship. That that national championship is just as much on the offensive line as it is on Vince Young. Vince Young made the play; the offensive line put them in that situation. And this is probably going to be the hot take of all hot takes. But people are really belly aching about Texas missing on some skill players. I would trade Kelvin Banks for three wide receivers any day of the week and twice on Sundays. Yep, and, and pick pick three wide receivers out of the class. I take Kelvin Banks. 10 times out of 10 and you pair that with cam williams the three slash four star depending on who you got now cam williams is a little bit more of a project than kelvin banks he's uh been measured anywhere from six five to six seven 350 to 390 depending on 90. whose numbers you see his weight is a bit of a red flag it's honestly Whew. why he's a three star yeah in some of the the ratings but he has dropped some of that weight but when you talk about big human beings and the need for big human beings, a guy who's somewhere, we'll call it an even 6'6". He's been measured at 6'5 to 6'7", so we'll call it a 6'6". A guy who's 6'6 with that wide of a wingspan playing on the opposite side of Kelvin Banks, um, he is a guy who has legitimate NFL upside. You win, you win games at the tackle position. You win championships at the tackle position. And if these are the two tackles in this class – Come on, man. There's a lot of exciting football to be had. I mean, just just an enormous, enormous, enormous player. Uh, and Kyle Flood likes that, right? We, we, we've we said there was kind of a, 
a fit between the tackles that we had on campus. We hadn't gotten that really elite uh, tackle body, um, but there was a difference between what Kyle Flood was coming from Alabama and what he has, you know, had proven uh, during his trips that, that when he's out getting his guys, that's what they look like. They're big. I don't know. There's many guys this big in general in the world, um, but that that's what he's looking for. And, and will shape the way you said banks will, will beef up to it. You know, a college three fifteen. I'm sure that Kim Williams will slim from a high school three, 90 to a college like 360 he could legitimately play at 350 360 uh of of leaner like muscle like he could be he's he's playing basketball at a high school 350 yeah yeah come on yeah i know no i i think the athleticism is there i think the nastiness is there i think you know banks banks made his legend on the camp circuit just dominating some of the best defensive linemen and people just said wow you see him and he's the meanest nastiest bulldog you know like you just he turns you know five stars into into also rands he's he's that cam williams is a guy who's so much bigger so much meaner so much nastier than everyone else on the field he played with that he would get a hold of someone and just demolish them he would hit you know safeties and cornerbacks as hard as he would you know linebackers and and ends he clearly just wanted to he he is perfect for the pancake factory of our new offensive line uh, <laughs> recruiting because the man just loves like seeing people hit the ground, seeing flapjacks, seeing pancakes out there. And like you said, he may not be as much of a day one starter as they kind of shape his body, uh, work on his technique at that size to be effective. But, you know, he is a, a player who who will contribute um, and, and again, fits the mold of Kyle Flood wanting big uh, tackles to kind of anchor his line. And, and I think, um, I, I think it really, both both of these are just huge. And Gerald, I, I almost wonder if there could be other offensive linemen potentially in this class that already has some good. Let's not discount. We'll talk on signing day, the guys who are already committed, but there might even be some others, I might think. And so, Kyle, that statement turned out to be prophetic. If my voice sounds a little different, it's because approximately two and a half hours ago, you and I stopped recording and come to find out Texas was not done on the offensive line and getting a surprise commitment from four-star offensive lineman Nato Umozulu is what we're going with. Uh, I'm going to try that as best I can. From Allen, Texas, 6'4", 285, the number 143 player in the country, the number seven interior offensive lineman, and the number 23 player in the state of Texas. And Incredible hats off, shouts out. Uh, I am blown away a bit by the fact that when we recorded our, our podcast last week that dropped on Thursday, since then a thousand pounds of offensive line have, have been added <laughs> by coach flood, a true Texas flood uh, is, is coming. So no, it's, it's really incredible. And look, um, it's, it's a, if you don't follow recruiting really closely, it's a, it's a little bit overwrought and a little bit, uh, maybe too much emphasis put on it, but there are certain schools that just produce talent consistently, just guys who play at the collegiate and NFL level. And it's a good thing to have good relationships with those schools and kind of open those pipelines, right? And uh, and so having a kid from Allen High School, you know, again, if you don't follow high school football, you, you heard of them 10 years ago when they built a college stadium basically to play in and, and, and then won a whole bunch of games. And UT has had uh, <laughs> some players throughout the years, but it's been a little while. So opening that back up and, you know, just for good measure, I think his, his younger brother's a top 50 player in 23. So that doesn't hurt. But uh, I don't want to discredit <laughs> Nito because it is a Nito uh, thing that we, we added uh, an interior lineman. And uh, I'm not trying to be prophetic anymore, Gerald. I did it. But 
could there be even more? I mean, potentially, right? There there are still some high-priority targets out there. Uh, we've got Devon Campbell is going to be making a decision within the next couple of weeks. You've got Malik Agbo making a decision on Wednesday. And so there there is a, a opportunity for this class. And already, without without the, uh, the other additions to it, this is easily going to be like the best signing class of linemen that Texas has had since they've been keeping track of it. I went back and looked in 2002 had Justin Blaylock, Neil Tweedy and Casey stuttered. And that's about as close as it gets to what this group could be. If you add any more of these top priority guys, this class will be absolutely insane. And I put this out there on Twitter, but Texas has 12 of 23 again at 1248 on Monday, or I guess it's Tuesday. Technically uh, 12 of the 23 guys committed are offensive linemen defensive linemen or edge rushers and, and Steve Sarkeesian and, and his staff came in and looked and saw the biggest deficiencies of this group and they attacked it aggressively and it seems like they are trying to shift this roster I thought it would take more than one <laughs> cycle to get this much talent in the in those rooms uh, yeah you're absolutely right I was glad you did that that look because that I mean again not to get too deep into it but that is the way that traditionally SEC teams have been built for years is 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 focus on the trenches look ut has has landed some some incredibly high profile classes year after year we can we've talked and and can continue to talk in the future about attrition and all those things but they've also focused a little bit more on some of the uh, the biggest gets have been at the skill positions which is fantastic but you can't you can't just in, entirely kind of skip or make an afterthought the, the the trenches. I think the successful teams you see, no matter how many you know high flyers and how many yards you put up, the successful teams continue to be Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, teams that are putting players on both sides of the ball in the trenches. Michigan this year in the NFL with the trench warfare that you know. As, as a skill position guy, it pains me to say that, but Gerald is our mighty, our <laughs> mighty uh, trench valedictorian, uh, which is a great nickname, and you should get that on a T-shirt immediately. Uh, it, Changing my Twitter bio is uh, <laughs> uh, is is happy to to, to see this, and uh, I, I think we all are. I think this is great. Um, this is this is the future for Texas, whether we were going to the SEC or not. This is, I think, the direction that that will uh, that will move us up. So they alluded to a second commitment tonight, but again, Kyle and I both are washed and have day jobs. And so if we stay up much later, we will not be able to get many billable hours out tomorrow. The The point of all of this is this, is that the last few days seem to have the potential to change the trajectory of Texas over the next two to three years. And if Steve Sarkeesian gets a year four and a year five, like I think he probably should, we will point back to this weekend as the one where things maybe turn the corner. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to someone about this. The, the Charlie strong kind of had a, had a method, right? The, the signing day, flip or everyone who we might get we get them all right everybody um th that was like a true kind of uh methodology to his recruiting which which i appreciated um you know i think the herman staff under carrington had their own philosophy it's it's interesting we'll see obviously this is our first one if if sark likes this basically momentum leading into national signing day because this is that big 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 recruiting weekend immediately before the first and, and now the, the preeminent early signing day is the big one. Now most people will, uh, will, will, you know, commit on, on that day. Obviously there's 
there's an importance to the next signing day, but I wonder if this kind of weekend here after the season, before the signing day momentum, you saw uh, players like Sam Ellinger, obviously Bijan and, and Xavier Worthy out there recruiting the, their butts off for this team. Um, you had 23 guys, 22 guys. You just bring all that and that energy and that momentum, if that's a part of what the Texas recruiting staff under Steve Harkeesan and, and the, the litany of great recruiters uh, like to do, you know, one year. We'll see. But I really like it. I like where this leads. And I think we're going to have uh, a lot of good things to talk about come National Signing Day for our next podcast. So we will be back on Wednesday breaking down what Texas came away with. Maybe not a ton of surprises, but we'll look at where some of these guys fit in the class, where they're going to play, uh, and just our overall impressions of the group. And we'll be back with that on Thursday. On to some less exciting news. Uh, basketball, the basketball team, once again struggled with a big man and fell to Seton Hall 64 to 60. Texas went almost seven minutes, eight of uh, seven and a half minutes ish of time in the second half without recording a field goal. 8-12 was left on the clock when Timmy Allen made a layup, and then the next field goal happened with 52 seconds left in the game, also from Timmy. Allen Seton Hall um just I don't I don't even know how to explain what they did but the Texas offense just looked flat out bad uh as that game closed yeah I mean there was I think some some clock management issues at the end of the first half that allowed it to be tied I believe 37 all um Texas should have gone in with a lead and then the end of the game execution after they did you know reopen the floodgates with 52 seconds left um they they kind of didn't execute down the end of the either so that, that's one thing to look at but I think obviously the the bigger uh story and the bigger worry is is Texas just struggled to score the ball and it wasn't you know the Chris Beard motion offense that we've talked so much about it wasn't that when they were going that the motion offense was so great it was that you had individual players just kind of ISOing I I, I think really individual wins with uh to their credit Timmy Allen and Trey Mitchell I think played with heart played their butts off and, and beat their men or sometimes multiple guys one-on-one or two-on-one multiple times and, and either got buckets got to the line I think played well inside and and that was really the extent I think there was a point when they went in the huddle with the Seton Hall coach and he said they're just playing one-on-one basketball and and that's okay with us we can defend that and and that was kind of a an alarming uh observation to hear the other coach say that um and that's going to be a struggle because this is the second uh good top 25 team that Texas has played in both cases. It looked like with Gonzaga, they just couldn't stop a big man on the defensive side. Uh, and, and did also, especially in the first half struggle to score Seton hall. They contained them a little bit more, uh, even though they had pretty great size, but they really, again, just struggled once Seton hall kind of adjusted and, uh, had the length to switch on the perimeter and take the baseline drives away and say, okay, what else you got? Well, you saw not only was it, eight minutes almost of game time, but there was a 20-minute review in the middle of that. So it's like 30 actual minutes where Texas <laughs> didn't see the ball go through the hoop, which is kind of devastating, and they, they never really recovered, and they never really got it going offensively, even though they, they also held Seton Hall during that stretch. It wasn't like the game got out of hand. The, the defense was, for the most part, okay. The hard part about this game for me is that I feel like I could see the breaks where Texas needed it to go one way where you're not going to win when you go what one for 13 from three point range. Like you, yeah. no, 
one of those goes in and this is a different game, right? Yeah. Or the second chance points, right? Like Seton Hall had what? I think 12 or 14 second chance points uh, where Texas had four. So like, and, and it's tough because DSU's out, right? But like, would he have made that big of a difference? I don't know. And we, we won't know until he gets back, yeah. but it, it it's hard for me to imagine a world where Courtney Ramey's the only player that hits a three pointer. And that's not going to happen every game, but also like, that can't happen. It shouldn't happen, and it won't happen. If you're gonna run a a low pace, low low scoring style of offense, then you've got to capitalize on yep. the offensive scoring possessions you get and the offensive yep. chances you get. Trey Mitchell did his part, even though he was I mean he was he was above fifty percent. Uh, Timmy Allen did his part, but then like Marcus Carr was five of fourteen. Ramey was scored nine, one of four from. Three. So it's like it's hard for the. Again, if you're going to play, and I, I can't say it any clearer, so I'm just going to repeat myself. Like, if you're going to play a low-scoring style of basketball, you've got to take advantage of the scoring opportunities when they do come because they're not going to come right. as frequently. That's right. Your efficiency has to be off the charts, uh, and and it has been this year. They've been very efficient on the boards. They were they were number twenty coming in this year, you know, in, into this game in, in three point percentage. So they had been knocking down their threes. I think Seton Hall had the size and the the game plan to try to take away open looks on the three point line and get tall defenders in shooters' faces. Um, but I but I also think yeah, they just couldn't couldn't hit when they did have open looks, and that's that's tough. But Texas had. As many fast break points as you and I combined, Gerald, as the, all of our listeners uh, had as many fast break points as Texas basketball. Some in this of game. our listeners might have more, depending, depending on their, their weekend plans. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, you might have wrecked your rec league, but yes, zero fast break points from Texas offense. They basically, you know, they they went to ISO ball, and so you think, okay. It's isolation basketball. Marcus Carr was one of the better isolation batch volume, whatever you want to say, scorers in the country last year. But something is off so far. And so everything comes back to what Gerald said about this season. And we'll, we'll see more. We're only eight games in. We're not going to overreact. But by not playing a lot of good teams, playing a lot of not great teams, you have a small sample size to see on these important games, but everything does come back to what Gerald said is if you're going to keep a, a slow pace, you're going to keep a, possessions low. You have to convert on those. And, you know, Carr is not always though. He can be a great ISO score, the most efficient score, but he hasn't even been able outside of one game, been able to get it really going this year. So that's the thing to watch. It's a little bit of a worry point, but we'll see if, you know, Carr by the end of the season gets it going, I think that lifts Texas's ceiling on what they can be this season. I also think DC, some people are calling him the silver bullet. He won't fix all of our rebounding issues, but he will come in and be our best rebounder. I mean, right now, it is a, that may be even more alarming to me. Seton Hall had a 37% offensive rebound rate, which is very, very high. The Big 12 is a good offensive rebounding conference. TCU is great at it. Baylor is a lead at it. Uh, West Virginia is big and they're very good at it. You know, they're, they're going to come across some really good teams who will be better than what Texas has played for the most part outside of maybe Gonzaga this year, better than Seton Hall probably. And that's a little bit worrying. Now this is a one possession game that could have gone either way. I'm not reading too much into it, but I would have loved for it to go just a different way. And again, car uh, getting it going is something we're going to look for defending the, 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 kind of offensive initiator and then defending and not giving up the second chance. Cause that was the story of the game was the size was too much for Texas. Um, and you know, 
the other thing that's missed in that stat line, I just wanted to point out, Seton Hall shot 10 more free throws than Texas. It wasn't a bad officiated game, but getting those rebounds, you get the ball in the paint, and what do you do if you're a defender? You give up a layup, or do you try to contest it, and then you give a foul where a guy goes to the free throw line? So it's all related. It's all tied in to that just getting beat in the interior. Texas played admittedly pretty good interior defense. That probably is what made this a close game, but there was just so many opportunities. Anemic offense giving them extra possessions when you're already limiting possessions. All those things are a dangerous recipe against Kansas, Baylor, uh, te- honestly, Texas Tech. Um, you know, they're, they're some really good teams in this conference, uh, Iowa State. So it's it's if Texas wants to have the season they want to have, they need to figure something out uh, in these past last few games before they get into the conference schedule. I don't know if Arkansas Pine Bluff is going to be the team to see really uh, test Texas's metal going into that, but maybe Stanford on Sunday will be a solid, uh, solid tune-up. Stanford, I mean, it, they're better than Arkansas Pine Bluff. Maybe I don't sure. know. We'll have to look at sure. the Ken Palm on that, but uh, I'm just going to take a flyer. But Stanford would be a tier three win as it stands right now, so it's it's better. We only have one of those. It so it would be our probably second best win of the season if we beat Stanford, but they're not. The women's basketball team is much better than the men's. I'll say that at Stanford. Yes. The, the, the Stanford women might be the Stanford men now. Uh, but, like, the Big 12 is really good this year. And we've said it, we've said it before. I'll say it again. The Big 12 might be the best basketball conference in the country. Like, you've got Baylor, Kansas, Iowa State's even good this year, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's it's – it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough sledding. I think West Virginia is probably going to be another one that's like, they're probably going to punch you in the mouth on several occasions. Cause oh, you scary OU's under Porter sc- Moser. It, it, so they've got to figure it out quickly or this could get ugly and tech fans are going to get annoying. Well, they're always annoying, but they're going to get more annoying about uh, Chris Beard. But we'll be back following Arkansas Pine Bluff and Stanford to break it down and we'll see how Texas comes out of that one. But that's the part of the show where we – Whip around the rest of campus, and we down the 40. And this one is probably the saddest the saddest story that we've got in the rundown. Uh, number two volleyball after a come-from-behind win to beat Washington with the old reverse sweep in the round of 16 fell to the Nebraska Cornhuskers 3-1 to one to miss out on a trip to the final four. The Washington game gave me a little bit of the heebie-jeebies, but they were mm-hmm. able to get it together, and then they just weren't able to shake that same that same passing. Like, it was both bad passing and bad setting in yeah. both of those matchups, and it seemed like uh, uh, against Washington, the setters got it together, and, and Jenna Gabriel figured it out, but... He, Against Nebraska, even with two setter switches, it still didn't seem to get the consistency that they needed to win that one. And that's tough because you think about all the talent, the hitting talent that Texas has, all the size. You you thought that this team had it all, right? When they're playing well, and you saw it in the second half of that Washington match in those last three sets, when they were playing well, they make other teams make mistakes because they, they're intimidating. This Texas team had that quality. Credit to Nebraska they weren't intimidated. They they went out and tried to be the aggressor. They had a chip on their shoulder. They wanted to beat Texas badly. They had a very bad taste in their mouth from last year. And I think you forget that that's a rivalry and it seemed like from their fans and, and honestly the emotion of their players that they felt like it was a rivalry and they wanted to come in and get some respect on Texas's home court. And they did. To their credit, they did um, and, and looked as good as they have all year, but they, they certainly weren't intimidated by uh, by Texas's firepower and you know it, there were some good moments and and Texas again battled back after going down 0-2 against Nebraska but just 
to, to try to do that in consecutive games, go down 0-2 and, and win three in a row, that's really hard to do. Um, there's a reason Texas had 20 tries not done it before the, the Washington game in the, in the postseason. So, you know, it, it was tough. Um, Jared Elliott, to his credit, tried the switches, tried different things, defended differently, just it didn't feel like they could get it going. They did not look at their peak, and the postseason is not where you want to look less than your 100%. They had flashes, they had moments, but I think it, the the Nebraska match is summed up by like the end of set one, where they had a bunch of momentum. Like Asia O'Neill was playing out of her mind, and they go, they tie it twenty three twenty three, and then give the ball back twice on service errors, and it's just like that's that is the story of that game where Texas has the opportunities and just can't get out of uh, out of their way but all in all a successful season another conference championship they make it to a deep run in the NCAA tournament they'll bring a ton of talent back next year Brianni Butler Logan Eggleston Skyler Fields were all named to the Austin regional all tournament team uh, great season for the ladies did not quite live up to the expectations they had for themselves but we are very very proud being one of the best eight teams in the country is never something to be upset about women's basketball absolutely dominated the potatoes of idaho nope they're the vandals 83 83 to 43 deanna gatson does what she did 19 points a game high and a career high with seven rebounds and two steals they absolutely like it was tight for about six minutes, and then they just absolutely poured it on. It was a very, very incredible performance from the ladies. Yeah, I mean, you saw a Texas team that I think is is currently sitting one place outside of the top 10 at number 11 versus an Idaho team, and they did what you're supposed to do against a, a team like that. Uh, I like to see uh, Latasha Lattimore, kind of the the freshman who was the last addition to this class right before the season got added in, uh, got her first career double-double. I think she's got uh, big potential uh, on the inside. Uh, so her and, and Deanna Gaston, you know, along with Leah Moore. So we'll see some some players really develop on the inside there. But one player who we're seeing just truly uh, hit the hit, – you know the 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 court running i guess uh, is Rory Harmon who continues to be elite she was a rebound shy of a double double this time 13 points 9 rebounds and Kendall Hunter after an injury came back so those young players um really contributing she had 11 points 3 assists and 2 steals uh the one thing i will say Gerald my favorite name maybe of the season of any sport was on the Idaho women's basketball team they had a she had 12 rebounds again against us the uh, the forward for idaho uh her name beyonce b a uh a a, a woman from washington uh who went to play okay. basketball in idaho named beyonce beyonce of the beehive i i was flabbergasted but name of the year so far for me her parents put a set of expectations on her that I don't think are fair to put on any child. Next up for the ladies, last year's number two championship runner-up, number six, Arizona, on Sunday. And quickly hitting some football stuff, uh, three guys on their way out, BJ Foster, Chris Adamora, uh, are both put their names in the portal, so the safety position is going to look a little bit different. Next year, former Texas linebacker Terrence Cooks, who put his name in the transfer portal a few weeks ago, is landing at TCU. Ovio Gufo, a guy that you and I really appreciate, announced his return for yet another year. He finished tied for second on the team in both tackles for loss and sack. So big to have him back. And then big shout out to 2022 quarterback Malik Murphy for taking his team to the state 
championship, a, a, a semester after I think they won like three games, he takes his team to the CIF state championship in spite of being flagged for hurdling a guy. Big ups to Malik for a great performance in that game. I saw some high school kids show out for Texas across these playoffs, and we'll talk about it in our signing day. There's a lot of good things, uh, people closing careers before coming to Texas. We want winners. I love it. Love, everybody loves a winner. But now is the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle. What are you banging the drum on this week? I'm amending first my half drum. I'm banging uh, on, uh, did the math, sophomore uh, forward for Idaho, Beyonce B, would have been born in 2001, which is the same year that Carmen, a hip hopera, uh, came out. I am, as everyone who knows me knows, a, a devo- devoted fan of the hip hopera genre. I think a woefully underappreciated genre of entertainment. Um, so I hope she was named not only after Beyonce, who was still in Destiny's Child at this time, but specifically Beyonce's character uh, who, who, who really broke out in Carmen, a hip hopper. So let me talk about what I actually want to break uh, bang the drum on Gerald. Uh, Texas had a great recruiting weekend this week, but just before everything broke in, in, in some of the commitments and some of the buzz on some other potential commitments and some signing day excitement kind of happened. There was another school in Texas who, who admittedly will give them their credit. Had, a, had, had some good things happen. They, they uh, got a pretty good recruiting class down there in college station. Be what it may. One of my favorite things is the idea of the burnt orange mirror media conspiracy, which is legitimately a thing that Aggie tinfoil message board and real life, like regular Aggies believe that UT is utterly, every recruit is inflated. Every, uh, every media is conspiring to make UT good. Uh, ESPN is, is in on it obviously because of the Longhorn. Anyways, it runs deep in the Aggie psyche. They very much believe this as the Aggies are, are closing in on potentially their greatest class of all time. Part of the media, 247, home of Mike Roach, Nick Harris, others, uh, comes out with what can only be argued is the burnt orange media conspiracy of rankings. They are now offering up a transfer team ranking. In addition to their their, their typical rankings, they are adding in uh, transfers, which, look, if you're a Longhorn listening to this and you have rational thought you say yeah there's a there's a new one-time transfer rule transfers become a part uh of the college football landscape nil makes things kind of interesting and crazy uh they kind of did that in basketball this year which was which was first and espn ranked that and that got texas basketball fans hope up but it makes sense that would be a part of the evolution of covering a game that is evolving but no (laughs) what really happened we all know this is that they knew Quinn Ewers was coming to Texas. And because of that, that that would drastically change the rankings. And that would be the only way that UT could rank above AM. So they created an entire new ranking system just to screw the poor Aggies. Now, I said it in a couple of different chats that it would be hilarious if 247 found a way to include transfers in the rankings <laughs> to mess with the Aggies. And literally the next day, I said it to, to uh, our friends, our, our friend Cody Daniel and, and Daniel Seahorn. We have a little side chat that we have. Uh, we all three of us cover recruiting for the site. And like the next day, this like combined total class ranking comes out. And so uh, the official Longhorn Republic ruling is that 
whichever one that Texas is higher than A&M in is the one that counts for that year. And it could change <laughs> year to year, depending. Texas is higher in the just straight recruiting rankings. That's the one that matters. Texas is higher in the transfer rankings. That's the one that matters. Texas is higher in the total stars ranking. That's the one that matters. I, because I exist on Twitter, am totally fine with moving the goalposts to fit the needs of the argument that I am having. And speaking of moving the goalposts, I am banging the drum this week on somebody whose head is about as full as a drum, and that is Darren Ravel the business writer from the Action Network, I think is where he's at now. So Darren Ravel took it upon himself to get a little upset at the Pancake Factory and Horns with Heart. And he has put out not one, not two, but three different articles, lamb-basting, lampooning, and otherwise lamb-kebabbing, I don't know, something <laughs> about this fund that will be paying Texas offensive linemen, scholarship offensive linemen, $50,000 in exchange for using their name, image, and likeness to raise funds for charity. And Darren Ravel has the audacity and unmitigated gall to say that NIL is designed for popular players to be able to capitalize on their name, image, and likeness, which is true. But through that, he insinuates that offensive linemen inherently are not popular and to that i say shut your mouth you don't know about football college football and especially college football in the south don't care if you went to miami you don't know your head from your backside with both hands and map and a flashlight if you think that offensive linemen are not popular especially when it comes to texas football fans an educated texas football fan in an hour-long podcast we spent one-sixth of our time talking about offensive linemen so your argument that offensive linemen are inherently not popular falls flat because you are an idiot. And it's beautiful because I already planned on talking about this. And the same night we we're recording, Hayden Connor very clearly got paid by two different companies to hawk their barbecue products. So Mr. Ravel, I say to you with my full chest and everything in me, shut up and hold that L, you idiot. Hold it tight. <laughs> It'll keep you warm in those cold nights when you're so salty about offensive line getting paid for their image and likeness. Darren Rove, got to have the L. Uh, a, a guy who I am so glad the rest of the world is coming around to. I remember when he got big when I was in college in like 08, 09, thereabouts. And even like initially, he just felt creepy and weird and off. And But it seemed like the general world kind of listened to him for a few years. I'm so glad everyone else is catching up because I've hated <laughs> this dude for a decade. Um, just seems like a greasy, slimy, no good. Like just everything he does feels cringe. Um, but I will say this, this take is the Darren Ravel 20 yard dash of, of takes. Um, and that is to say it's the worst I've ever seen. So, um, Darren, just stay in your lane. Um, these aren't the things you talk about, right? You want to talk about NFTs and you want to talk about, you know, the, the revenue or ad things that someone's viral tweet gets related to football and whatever you know like just just stay there you don't really understand sports you, you don't really especially understand college football of all sports and you certainly like gerald said don't understand uh the state of texas big college football sec football big 12 football football in the south those types of things if if your takes are this bad so as gerald said hold the l darren rove l his name has two l's because that's all he takes but that's all we've got for you this week kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet 
Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pre-Gamer at Texas Pre-Gamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at G.H. Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We'll be back on Thursday to recap a busy and hopefully crazy National Signing Day. But until then... Remember, if Texas and A&M finish with the same amount of money, same amount of wins, or same recruiting ranking, a tie goes to the Longhorns. Hook them. Hook them.